Good morning. Well, it is good to be back uh, in our Boise home uh, with our spiritual family. Uh, the last year and a half in our lives have been one of uh, replete with storms um, of different kinds, and um, that really uh, piqued my interest in the story of Jonah, which we're going to read today. But before I do that, I just want to express how, uh, how really grateful we are for you all. Um, that you stand behind us with prayers and love, um, support, some of you financially, and uh, we're just really blessed. And um, I hope you are too, that the Lord is blessing you as you obey him and respond to him um, in getting in, involved in different ministries. Um, I, I appreciate Art praying for me. I'd like to just have another word of prayer before we, we read the story together. Father, it is good to be in your house, knowing that we are your children. We are always welcome, loved, cared for. We are disciplined, Lord. You discipline those you love. You care about our growth, about our maturation process, about the relationships we have with with you and one another and the lost. Speak to us this morning, Father, through your Holy Spirit. Let us be attentive to your voice and responsive to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so today I'm going to uh, read the whole book as a be- to start off with. And you can just sit back and listen. You probably know the story well, but as you listen to this, think about the question, what is God doing to start with? We'll talk about that <clears throat> when we're finished. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry lands. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What is God doing The book opens with the statement, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. God is calling. He is calling uh, people in this story. He's calling Jonah to go, but then he's calling him to go to the lost and call out to them. You know, repentance is not initially the sinner's idea. It is the Lord God who initiates and communicates with sinners. And that's the way it has been from the beginning, right? In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to them in the cool of the day, and he called out to the man, Where are you? Our almighty creator God came down and called to this sinful man. But then there's a second level of calling, and that is through the people who respond to him and heed his call to turn to him, he sends them to be part of his call to others. And we know that Jesus came, the great apostle who was sent from God, came and raised up an apostolic church to go and call the lost and other nations to himself. And so when he sent the apostles to preach the word and Peter on the day of Pentecost preached uh, forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ through repentance, forgiveness of sins and baptism, he said, you will receive the Holy Spirit for this is the promise for you and your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
So the first thing that we come to face in this story is that our God is a calling God, calling us to be a part of his call. Um, Whether that is what he is doing uh, with people next door or whether that's what he is doing in calling people from other nations to come to him and believe and have life. And Jonah, of course, uh, resists this call. He goes the other way. God says, go to Nineveh, go east. He went west. Um, And so God deals with him and then calls him again. And how relentless God is in his calling, that he would insist on using a feeble, a fickle, faint-hearted servant such as Jonah But that's the way he wants it to work. He wants to call people to himself and engage them in his call to the lost. As a kid, I was raised in the church. We went to church at least three times a week. um, And we had a lot of altar calls. Um, And uh, from a young age, uh, I was very responsive to those. They struck my heart. Uh, I knew I was in need of forgiveness and the gospel just attracted me and I responded to these. As I got a little older, I began to listen to the the missionaries that would come through and they would tell tell us their stories and bring songs and and things from the field. Um, And I remember one time at a family camp, it happened more than once, but one of them um, issued a call to the young people in the room under 18, if you, if God calls you to go to another country, are you willing? And if you are willing, knowing what you know now, would you come and express uh, affirmation and, and announce, you know, show that call by coming forward? And I did. Well, then I forgot about that, um, kind of went my own way like, like Jonah uh, kind of turned from the Lord through a series of storms and circumstances. He brought me back and he asserted his call many times. I had come to Idaho by that time and, and he got my attention and it rang in again, his call rang in my ears to go to another people and proclaim his good news of salvation in his son How is our gracious God, our God of compassion, how is he calling you? What is he saying? Uh, On which, what level personally or in regards to the lost? What What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you as an individual? What is he saying to this church? Something to think about. Because as everything in this story is so great and so exaggerated, you know, this is one of the greatest stories that could be told. It's God's effort, God's effort to reach the lost and bring them to himself. And he wants us to be a part of it. Well, who is he calling in this story? Let's start with the sailors. Now, we don't know much about them. Um, it, they are idol worshipers. They call out to their own gods. They seem like good fellows, you know, doing their job, keeping the boat afloat as 
well as they could. Uh, they seem to have very sincere hearts and even show compassion. Uh-huh. They show compassion to Jonah. They don't want to harm this man. How did God call them? Well, obviously the storm got their attention, as it would of seafarers. Such a violent, tumultuous storm that kept getting more and more tumultuous. It compelled them to respond to the truth that they had. And what was the truth that they had other than Jonah's testimony that we see here? This simple testimony. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he told them that he was fleeing from the Lord. Now that's not exactly a presentation of the gospel. Seems pretty basic. There is a God and I'm fleeing from him. But it was enough. And how amazing, how amazing it is that God would call us and use our testimonies as weak as they so often are, as incomplete, as unpolished. He would do that and use us to call the lost. It raises a question for us then, How is God calling the people around us? How is he working in their hearts? Who is he speaking to? Who needs help? Who is experiencing a storm right now in their life? Sometimes it's good um, to just pay attention. Who am I burdened to pray for? Like who who has come across my mind recently that I'm just praying for? Uh, This may be somebody God is involving me in the call to that person. What about the Ninevites? They are the, we used to call the target people. We don't use that word anymore. It's kind of, has not the best nuance. Um, They are the people group that he's called to. Arise, go to that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And so what is their situation? Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, of course. And this probably was shocking to Jonah and to the people as they heard the story because it was the first time that God had sent one of his prophets to a Gentile uh, nation. I mean, he had given prophets before oracles against these nations, but to send one of his prophets, to to this nation. And more than that, Nineveh represented a potential threat to to their own nation of Israel. Um, They were pressing in. The thing that seemed to be holding them back at this point was their own conflict with um, Aramea. Uh, And yet the Lord is, is using these circumstances to prepare those people to hear the gospel now, Jonah was, came from a context that wasn't, wasn't really a God-honoring context at that time. The nation was wandering away from him, just as Jonah wandered away. Uh, Jonah served under King Jeroboam, who, it says in 2 Kings 14, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, God spoke through Jonah to the nation 
that he was going to expand their borders to the to the extent that it was at its largest under Solomon, David and Solomon. God was being gracious with Israel at this point. In spite of their waywardness, in spite of their own sin, and he was calling Jonah and the nation to be that light to the Gentiles that the uh, other prophet Isaiah and others had said they would be. And so God still uses people to, um, to extend his call to others, even those nations that are people groups that, for instance, us, we would consider at enmity with us or potential threats or, um, yeah, unfriendly, not, not our allies or not our friends. Uh, that's striking to us being in the Middle East. This is the way God works. Um, I want to tell you about a friend here who I met in Turkey, where we are now uh, serving. Um, we are serving Arab uh, Syrians there, Arabic-speaking Syrians. Well, he comes from the city of Raqqa in Syria. He was studying history at a university and he was intrigued by the references to the Reformation and the spiritual awakenings in Europe. And so in his third year of studies, ISIS gained control of Raqqa and claimed it as their capital, and his university closed. So God hurled a great storm on Syria and on the life of Sam. He witnessed many atrocities, much evil, and it prompted him to start searching for Christianity that he had read about in his history courses. He collected some books, some Christian books, and also the Bible, and he began to read these things. Like so many Syrians, um, there are about 8 million approximately who have fled Syria. He tried to leave. He was caught and sent back and put in prison. And in prison, he realized that he had these books and he had this Bible on a little SD card in his cell phone. And he realized that if they find that SD card, he could lose his life. And so what did he do? He did the only thing he could think of, and he swallowed the SD card. Just like Jeremiah, you know, ate the word. He ate the book. Um... I met, uh, well, one other thing about Sam's search. He searched the Old Testament prophecies because he really wanted to know what the prophets said about Jesus to decide who Jesus was. And when he came across Micah 5.2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And when he read that, he knew the Messiah was eternal. Jesus was the Son of God. And he believed. And by the input of other believers through, um, through the Internet, uh, he found a fellowship, and that's where I met him in Turkey. 
He and I started to meet for discipleship with another man. And Sam has continued to seek out God's will for him, respond to the truth of the word, obey. He now is part of a small fellowship of uh, believers from Muslim background, and they regularly reach out to others, calling them to repent and believe. How is God working in those people around us? What is he doing or in the, the nations? Who am I a burden to pray for? Who needs help? What are the storms in life? And how might I enter into those storms appropriately? I want to um, put a little plug in, commercial break for our vision time. It was going to be an in-person time next Sunday, but we decided to do a Zoom meeting. So if uh, you need the link for that, you could contact uh, Asher at the church office and be part of that next Sunday at 6 p.m. on Zoom. So in the story, God called the sailors, and they responded. They repented. He called the Ninevites. They repented. Who else in the story is he calling? Well, Jonah. What about his heart? This is very uh, enlightening, um, very profound, what is revealed to us about Jonah's heart in this story. What is the first thing he did when he heard God's call? He fled, fled from the presence of the Lord. And that was a downhill journey, wasn't it? He went down to Joppa, down to the inner part of the ship, then down into the sea, down into the belly of the great fish, and down to the depths of the mountains. Ignoring the call of God is always a downhill journey. Just as the prodigal son discovered by rejecting the love of the father. And Jonah didn't care much for anyone else until he hit the bottom, the bottom of the the great fish's stomach. But he tells God why he fled. He says in chapter 4.1, when he was very angry over the Ninevites' uh, repentance and calling out to God, Jonah was exceedingly displeased and he was angry. Very upset. That is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, he says to the Lord, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's quoting, of course, from Exodus 34 when Moses was holding the two tablets and wanted to see the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I'll pass before you. You may not see me, but I will pass before you and make my presence known. And the Lord declared, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Then Moses bowed down and asked God to pardon Israel's iniquities and dwell with them. Jonah is saying... He fled 
from God's presence. He, fl- he turned his back in disobedience to God because he knew God was compassionate and that if these Assyrians repented, then God would relent from punishment, from destroying them, not saving them. And that seems to be what he really wanted. He didn't care about them. He would just much rather have them not be a a nation or a strong nation. Um, I would want to commend a good book to you called uh, Jonah the Prodigal Prophet um, by Timothy Keller. He talks more about this. What Jonah is basically doing, he's trying to manipulate God for his own desires, his own, yeah, the way he thinks things should be. And so he preaches, what we're given that he preaches here is only judgment. So I know that you're merciful and compassionate, but I'm going to preach judgment. But our God, um, who is a God of steadfast love, he cares deeply when we don't walk by his steadfast love. He won't let this self-serving, biased heart go unchecked. So he hurled the storm on the sea for Jonah's sake. And then Jonah was hurled into the sea. And he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. So he believes that God is who he is, but he's not come to terms with actually obeying and carrying it out. I mentioned some of the storms that have come into our lives. We were expelled two years ago or more from our country of Jordan, which was our home. We had a difficult transition to Turkey that took about two years to get residency there. Then a year ago, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's uh, uh, follicular lymphoma and uh, treated uh, six rounds of immunochemotherapy. You know, and at various times through these storms, it dawned on me, um, you know, I think I'm a pretty selfish person. (laughs) Uh, Came down to the very simple things of what I can eat and what I can't eat. Uh, how I need to to adjust my life to do what's the best thing. But on a larger scale, I begin to see that, you know, things like uh, our ministry, the work that we're in, the stability and comfort of our own home that we had had in Jordan for so long, these things had become like little idols of the heart. I didn't I didn't realize it. But I was more concerned, just like Jonah had more compassion on this little plant than he did for the lost. I was more, had more compassion for these little creature comforts and, and things and structures in our life than even for the lost. Um, and so I, the Lord brought me to this point. And for me, the belly of the fish was um, about the third round of immunochemotherapy when I was laying in this thing called the oven, um, hyperthermia, which is excruciating um, discomfort. And I realized I can still praise God uh, even though 
I don't feel well at all. (laughs) He's still on the throne. He's still my Lord. He's given me life, and he's worthy of praise. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Wow. And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. These storms weakened my soul, but woke me up to a great need I have to be close to the Lord and to do His will. So I began to turn Him daily, as I had been doing, but with a new depth of love and appreciation for Him and an openness to what He wanted me to do. So again, how are the storms and the plants and the worms and the scorching sun of life speaking to us and calling us back to God? What are they pointing out to us? What is he putting his finger on that we need to turn from and keep turning from, perhaps? Because he's, he's there to... To save. He's there to give us life in place of that thing that would lead to death. Um, he wants us to grasp his full mercy and steadfast love and also know that he's all righteous and he will judge whatever in, uh, inequity, uh, offense, whatever hurt that we've had to face. He'll take care of that. That's in his hands, not our hands. He really wants us to trust him and believe in the gospel. Um, And that's in this book. Amazingly, the gospel is proclaimed prophetically beforehand in this book. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 20 and Matthew 12, the, uh, he was saying that uh, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they've spoken. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like that. Like, if you're going to tell us what not to, that we can't say things, then show us your power to enforce that rule. Give us a sign. We, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an adulteress and Evil generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here The Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah. The message was 40 days hence judgment will be coming. And they responded, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. With the limited understanding of the truth and of the gospel they had, they yet knew and believed at this point that God was a God of ultimate justice and they deserved 
his justice, his wrath, but that it was possible that he would apply his mercy and compassion and forgive them. They believed in his justice and mercy. They believed in the basic elements of the gospel. And then Jonah sacrificed himself, which was a very, uh, yeah, just atoning sacrifice. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. This is the sign of Jonah. And the sailors said, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. Are you kidding me? Jonah was innocent? And yet I believe these are statements that uh, are pre-announcing the atoning death of Jesus, the sacrificial death. He gave up his life so that we might live. And he was the only innocent one. And then they feared the Lord exceedingly. And Jonah's salvation, salvation belongs to the Lord, was the sign of Jesus' resurrection. Jonah says, I cried to the Lord out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, salvation belongs to the Lord. So an amazing Story, a prophetic proclamation for all that justice is uh, is God's and it's fulfilled in the death of Jesus and the mercy of God is fulfilled in his resurrection. We who deserve death can live when we turn to him. And this is the gospel, but this gospel, this salvation... It's not just saving Jonah from death, saving us from spiritual and physical death. It's living for God through the power of Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We always need salvation, whether we are considered saved or whether we are among what's considered the lost. Paul says in Philippians 2, right? He says, Let me find it here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't work off our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. We're not saved by works. We do works by salvation because we're saved. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new new, uh, purpose, a whole new way to live. And this is what God is calling us to And he's also calling the lost to this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What difference does this make in our life? What difference does belief in Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection believe in our life? Are we responding to that in the 
in the details of what we think, what our attitudes are, how we relate to others, what we do, what we don't want to do. Are we living the gospel? The book concludes with Jonah so angry, as we just read, about the plant. He wants to die. And God says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I read an article um, in one of the Middle Eastern newspapers that gave an account of uh, the prisoners that had disappeared during the the war in Syria, and it was 120,000. They didn't know where they were, what had happened to them. Were they alive? Were they dead? Uh, No record. 120,000 gone. Would Jonah turn back to God a second time, confessing sins and hardness of heart and seeking mercy? Would he become more compassionate in the end, willing to declare and proclaim God's mercy and justice? Would this people of Israel shed the light of their gospel to the nations? Would we? The question hangs before us. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by this prophet that you chose. We are humbled that you chose him and that you choose us. That you have a great care for our own hearts. That you want us to come close to you and keep turning back to you and, and listening, heeding your voice and, and following your, um, your instructions, just obeying to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So we pray in your gentle way, your small, quiet way of speaking, you would you would uh, cause us to listen, cause us to hear. And by your grace, we would respond. Because we want you to be glorified, we want you to be proclaimed, not us. Your gospel is the greatest of all, and Jesus is our Lord. We give you all praise and honor today. Thank you that we could be together for this time. Bless us, Lord, as we go in Jesus' name.